0: Please join with me as we uh, open our scriptures today to study James chapter 1. It's on page 1172 of your pew Bibles. We're going to rise as we read verses 2 through 12 today. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 12. because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, for they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even as they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because they, having stood the test, will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. May God bless this great reading of his work today. Please have a seat. Well, we can't deny it any longer. Fall is here. School season has kicked in. And it's almost invariably at the start of the school year that my kids, groaning and complaining over their homework and having it back into the routine, will come up to me and ask me a question. And they will say, Dad, is there ever a time in our life where things will get easier instead of harder? After I'm done laughing for five minutes in their face... I tell them, kiddo, you already had it. It was the first week of your life. And all you had to do was eat and sleep and poop, and other people took care of you and cuddled you and did everything. That was, that was cushy. You already had the easiest time of your life. But then I ask them as their faces fall, and they look at their math homework, I say, but would you really want to go back to being a baby? Would you really want to go back even two or three years ago and be younger when you really couldn't understand as much, you couldn't do much of anything? And they ponder that and they say, no, we wouldn't want to go back. Of course not, Dad. I like where, I like where we are now. Because they, lo- they love that they can connect with their friends, that they've grown to be able to read chapter books, that they can go and create things that their mind imagines. And so they wouldn't want to go back in their life because they've struggled, they've had that pain and struggle of growing. And so they want to keep those accomplishments, keep those achievements. And I can relate to that. I know nostalgia is very powerful. And often we look back on our lives and we go, man, I, I remember when I had hair, remember when I had energy, remember when I was young and vivacious and things seemed easier in my life. But would you truly want to go back to that? Knowing that you would have to give up everything you have achieved and accomplished since then. And if I look back at my life, the honest answer is no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would want a younger body again, but I wouldn't want to trade in the growth of my faith, my family, what I've struggled to achieve in my life for where I am now. And so I take that pain and I thank God for it. I take that struggle and that growth. Well, as we look at James here, I know I made a statement to you last week in our introduction, and I said James is very easy to read and understand, and James turned right around and made my life very difficult, because by verse 2, he's already confounding us. He's already saying something that is confusing to a lot of Christians. He says this, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds is James out of his mind is he crazy what does this mean we read this verse and it often just bounces right off our brains because we don't really understand what's being said and we think well maybe James is expecting Christians to become these kind of goofy loons that laugh and we cheer whenever we go through hardships and trials in our life whenever our the bank forecloses on our house we throw a party cuz we're so happy Whenever we have chronic illness in our life that causes us pain, we are giggling like madmen. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying we are to become Christian masochists. Not at all. We don't hope that we're going to get hit by a car someday so that we finally have a reason to celebrate. Instead, we have to remember that James is writing this letter to address practical situations in our life, how we can practically live out our faith in our day-to-day lives. And what is more practical than the fact that each one of us universally has hardships and challenges in our life? So he's right away, he dives right into the deep end. He says, let's talk about it. Let's talk about these, these struggles of many kinds in your life, the big ones, the medium ones, the small ones, all the challenges in your life. How do you deal with all of that? Well, what do those trials mean? It could be the big things, like getting a, a critically disappointing diagnosis from your doctor, telling you, you have whatever you have. It could be handling that difficult person in your life, day in and day out, having that struggle. It might be finding the patience at the end of a long day, where all you want to do is just crash, and yet a loved one wants to talk your ear off. Or, needs, or your kids need something from you. Sometimes these trials might be somebody yelling in your face because of what you believe and putting you on the spot. There's a lot of trials in our life. And really, without a higher purpose, a higher authority in our life, these pains, these struggles, these hardships are meaningless. They are meaningless. It's meaningless pain. And if they're meaningless, then all you want to do is flee away from them as far away as possible into comfort. So you want to live a life of hedonism, where you're just living for pleasure alone. And you want to flee away, because what's the purpose? What's the purpose of really subjecting yourself to trials? Well, to answer this, we get to James's very first instruction. In this. Remember, he has like 59 of these, so buckle up. His very first one in this whole book of James, in the first word of verse 2, where he says, Consider. That's the key word. That's the word we skip right over for the rest of that seemingly ridiculous sentence that he says. What he's saying right here is he's not appealing to your emotional state. He's not saying, be happy that you're going through trials. He says, consider what you're doing. He wants you to consider a new perspective. That even if you're annoyed, you're frustrated, you're in grief, that this might have a purpose. And so he says, consider for a moment that all your trials, the big ones, the small ones, the one in between, they have a point and a purpose. They're not just random. They're not the universe just spitting on you. That God has sent these into your life for a purpose. And that he is using them to build up a mature faith in you. That that is the purpose of the trials that hard trials may be the only way to develop a mature faith, to really give you a kick in the pants and get you going to grow your faith in a way that wouldn't have happened if all God gave you was a life of never-ending comfort. That is what James is asking you to consider. Have you considered this to change the way you see your day-to-day trials and struggles? Remember when Jesus asked people, he said, if you want to follow me, If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. Take up your pain. Take up your death and follow me. And a lot of people thought he was nuts. They said, no, we're not going to have any part of that. That sounds pretty horrible. Because what's the purpose of walking in pain? What's the purpose of taking up that cross? Well, James is answering that right here. Right here in verse 3. Because he says, because you know... That the testing of your faith, your daily challenges, the challenges that go over years and years of your life, all of these trials in your life, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is how God molds his people. This is what he does. He doesn't hide it from you. It's in the first page of the Bible. It goes all the way to the end. It's all the pages in between. He tells you over and over again. He molds people through pain. He molds people through suffering. He molds people through trials and challenges. That's how he shapes us. And why is he doing it? Because he wants to develop in you a faith that goes the distance, not a faith that peters out the first time something bad happens in your life. A non-mature faith will crumble. We know the parable of the sower, right? The, the seeds that fall on the hard rock and on the on the sun-baked land, those seeds of faith die. But it's the seeds that are watered, the seeds that grow into something mature. Those are the ones that go the distance. And the understanding that our trials have a purpose changes everything about how we interact with those trials, how we see them. Suddenly, we have this Christian paradox, don't we? A Christian paradox where on one hand, you could be in the middle of grief and suffering and hardship and pain and sweat, and you're not happy about it, but at the same time, you can be joyful that you're going through it because you know that this pain and this suffering has a purpose. It's not meaningless. One really great example of that, if you're struggling with that in your mind going, these two things don't fit together, is to look at Acts chapter 5. This is early in the life of the church. And the Sanhedrin, you remember that group of Jewish elders that were often against Jesus? Well, they were also against the apostles after Jesus went up and the church started in Jerusalem. And so the Sanhedrin called in the apostles, said, we want you to come in. We need need to talk with you. All the apostles go in. And the Sanhedrin ordered them, point blank. They said, you need to stop telling people about Jesus. You need to stop preaching this gospel That you're talking about. And to a man, the apostles said, No, we will not stop. We will tell anybody who has ears to hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what happens next is that the Sanhedrin surround the apostles and they beat them within an inch of their life. They hit them, they kick them, they strike them with rods, and then they take their bruised and battered bodies and they throw them out onto the street. And the apostles, they're they're nursing broken bones and bleeding lips and black eyes and bruises all over their body. They pick themselves up. And in verse 41 of Acts 5, it says this. It says, then they left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer honor for the name. Even as they suffered, they rejoiced. These two things can go together. So James is not asking you, to only be happy when you're in pain. Sometimes you can do nothing but cry while you're in pain, but to know that it is not meaningless, to know that there is a purpose behind it. And I guarantee you that if you're a Christian, you've already had this happen in your life, that God has already used your, your trials and your struggles to mature you. If you look back on your life and you ever sit down and kind of do a, maybe a spiritual audit, and go, what were the times of my life that I grew the most as a Christian? I guarantee you, almost all of those times were when you went through a trial. There's nothing that grows you faster, nothing that grows you up more in your faith than pain and struggle. And that helps us when we're going through our current trials and when we go through the ones in the future. Because we can, even in our pain, even as Job had his family killed and his wealth taken away, and he's covered head to toe with sores. Can fall down on his knees and worship God and say, "But Lord, there's a purpose, and you are still God, and you are still good, and we can have both." One of the I come from Detroit, so the auto industry is kind of ingrained in a lot of Detroiters, and we know we know our American brands, right? We know GM, we know Ford, we know Chevy, and. One of the the longest running slogans, the longest running ad campaigns of any automotive industry was Ford. Ford struck on this phrase that was brilliant, built Ford tough, to advertise his trucks. Do you know when they did that, when they came up with this? did a little research this past week. 1979. And it has been so popular and so effective that they've used it to this day. Built Ford Tough. Consumers love that because they know that the product they're getting, at least according to marketers, won't fall apart on them, That is going to go the distance, that they're going to have this truck for 20, 30 years, whatever. This thing is going to hold together. The heat death of the universe might occur before this truck falls apart. It is built Ford Tough, and we love that. We admire things that go the distance. I always love getting a good Christmas present that lasts, that's a good high-quality material, whatever it is, because I know I'll have it for a long time. And we think to ourselves, well, what if God is telling us, I want to build you, God, tough? And you say, well, I'm not tough. People in the Bible might have been tough. I look at it. David was tough, right? He was, a man. he was a man's man. Mary was tough. God came to her as a teenager, and she was on board with that right away. But I'm, I'm weak. I'm what James says here, I'm, I'm like this guy who's, who's out in the ocean and blown around by wind and waves and all the crazy storms, and I feel like I'm some days not even keeping my head above water. I want to be built God tough, but I'm just not. Well, the good news is that James says, you can be. You absolutely can be. He says that the next step that God takes in toughening us up as Christians is to ask God for help during the trials. That's actually a part of our toughening process. That God doesn't just foist a trial on your life and cross his arms and say, good luck, dude. I'm out of here. God gives us a trial. And then he says, now I want you to ask me for help. Okay, this makes sense. We're starting to get on board with this. And this is where James, yet again, confuses and confounds us. Because if we're in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a challenge in our life, and we go to God and we ask God for help, What are we going to ask God for? Strength, right? But that's not what James says. James says the thing you want to go to ask God for is wisdom, not strength. Not strength at all. It's it's okay. You can ask God for strength. But I think it's really strange. James isn't taking this weird little digression where he goes, okay, I'm, I'm breaking for a couple verses here to just talk in general about how wonderful wisdom is. He says this is a critical tool that you need to survive any challenge and hardship in your life. If you're going to succeed and absolutely win at this trial that God's put in front of you, you have to have his wisdom. You can't succeed without it. And that wisdom helps you navigate situations on a daily basis. So imagine this. Imagine that you've heard of the presidential line of succession that the president dies, the vice president takes over, and and they have like a chain that goes all the way down. Well, imagine tomorrow that every person in the presidential chain of succession keeled over and died, and you got a phone call. And on the phone, they said, you are the 7,000th person in the line of succession, and according to the laws of our country, you are now president of the United States of America. Pack up your things, get in the White House, you got a job to do. Now, granted that you don't flee for the hills, how would you deal with that? Because now you're making decisions that affect millions of people. You are setting policy into place that will affect the country far into the future. You will have people yelling in your ear, do this, do that, give us this, don't do that. What do you do? What do you ask for? What, What do you need to deal with? for the job of being the president of a country. Well, look at King Solomon. I think he's a great example of this. Solomon, I don't know if you knew this, became king at the age of 12 years old. He became king at the same age as my son Jeremiah. I'm not ready to become a king today. Don't put a crown on my head. I can't imagine what it's like for a 12-year-old kid to have his father pass away who, by the way, was the greatest king that country has ever known, has a legacy that's ginormous. And suddenly, as a 12-year-old kid, to be told, you're now in charge. How terrified this kid was. And so, as he's mulling this over, and this, in Solomon's life, is the greatest trial that a 12-year-old kid of any, any, any era of history has ever faced. He's struggling with this. He goes to sleep, and God talks to him, in his dreams. He talks to him in a vision. And in 1 Kings 3, God says to Solomon, I'm with you. Don't worry. In fact, I'm so much with you. You can ask me anything you want, and I will give it to you. What do you need to overcome this challenge? What do you need to get through this trial and succeed? And what a relief that must have been for Solomon to hear And probably his mind was spinning. I mean, our minds would be spinning. If you're suddenly president, you're suddenly king of a country, what would you want to have God give you? Job security? An invincible army? Absolute power? Perfect teeth? I don't know. What do you need to succeed as a king? And instead, Solomon, he looks at this whole situation, and he he identifies there's one thing he needs more than anything else. I know you know the answer, but I want you to hear his response to God because I don't think we have this response as memorized. Solomon says in response to God, God, I am only a little child. I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, and they are a great people. They are too numerous to, to number. So Lord, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Wow. Oh my gosh. Solomon knows that the only thing that's going to help him go the distance to get all the way from this point in his life to the final day of being the king, and that's wisdom. It's getting God's perspective, not his own and what's right, what's wrong, and how to make the right decision that pleases the Lord. To govern wisely. And God gladly gave Solomon this great wisdom, and he became known as this wise king. But here's the interesting thing, that James then tells us, that same wisdom that God gave to Solomon, he gives to anybody who asks in faith you ask God in faith, God, I recognize how weak my wisdom is. My own wisdom is faulty. It's frail. Somebody comes up to me for advice. I I wing it. I don't know if it's good advice. I give to them what I can, but sometimes my wisdom is disproved the next day. Lord, I I, I can't rely on that wisdom. I need yours. Lord, will you give me your wisdom? And the Bible tells us that God doesn't just say, well, Let me ask you this, how many times have you gone to church in the last year? Uh, God doesn't say, how much have you given to to charity lately? God says, I will give it to you, and I'm not even going to give you a guilt trip about it. That's what giving without reproach means. He's not going to say, oh, I'll give it to you, but you should have done better. He says, I will give generously to all this wisdom that they need to succeed in their trials if they ask in faith. I will just give it to them how wonderful that is. That's wisdom. And if you ask for it, God gives it to you. And he does, and I've seen it happen. I've felt it happen. He does in your life. And suddenly, you understand his perspective. And you understand what's the difference between right and wrong. And you make the right call. And you praise God for that. And then finally, in verses 9 through 11, James is tackling this topic of trials in our life he seems to take another odd digression, which is suddenly he's talking about rich and poor. And this is going to come up again later in the letter. But remember, he's a pastor. And James has had people in his church who are very wealthy. He has had people in his church who are very poor. And he speaks to both of them. And he examines very quickly here. He says, both of these life situations can be a trial. Both of these can be a trial that God sends to you. Now, we're on board with the poor part, right? We understand that financial hardship and poverty are a big trial in lives, that when we have to live day by day, not knowing where the food is going to come on our table and how we're going to provide for our family, it is a huge trial. There's a lot of stress behind that. But what about being rich? Well, a lot of us are thinking right now, maybe not brave enough to say it, God, please, please curse me with that trial. I'd be totally okay with having the trial of being rich. Tomorrow, if I can win the Publisher's Clearinghouse sweepstakes, I'll, I'll see what I can do with that. But here's what you need to know, is that James emphasizes that is the greater trial. Because when you are poor, when you are humbled, you're already conditioned to depending on God. Your life is aimed at God. And you, day by day, you live in his providence and his care. But when you're rich, the temptation is there. The trial, the challenge, is to depend on your wallet instead of God. And we've seen this in society, that the rich say, we don't need God because whenever there's a problem, I'm just going to throw a wad of money at it. And that will hopefully fix the problem. And if the problem still not fixed, more money and more money and more money. And it ultimately fails the trial. In both of these situations, in any situation you find yourself financially in life, James is making the point we need to rely on God's resources and not our own, that we rely on God. Uh, you know, we know King Solomon, he wrote a lot of the Proverbs, but he didn't write all of the Proverbs. Uh, one guy who wrote some of the Proverbs was a guy called Agur. We know his name, his household name, Agur. Well, he wrote Proverbs 30. And in that, he wrote this great sentence, said, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Agur says, otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Who needs God? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my Lord. Agur wanted just enough. If he had just enough, he was content because day by day, he knew the Lord gave him his daily bread. My encouragement that I pass on to you is as you're going through your, your trials and your challenges, is to rely on God's resources and not your own to get through these, wherever you find yourself. And what are these resources we're talking about? Well, first of all, your richness in Christ, that Christ is in you, and he's working in your life, and he's always available, that you have a citizenship in the kingdom of God. And not just a citizenship, but if you are saved, you are a son or daughter of the king. You are adopted, and you know you have a place in his kingdom. Another resource is every single word of sacred scripture. It has so many answers. And I love that when we were singing earlier, take it to the Lord in prayer, and one of the verses was talking about how we often forfeit this great comfort we have of praying to God and reading his scripture All this pain that we unnecessarily go through, that we could have just avoided if we had taken advantage of the words God's given us. The answers are almost always right there in the Bible if you take the time to look. And by trusting that God's daily provision for our life is enough, it is enough, and we can be satisfied for that. God's goal in your life is not to make you comfortable in the here and now. It is not to give you great prosperity and wealth. He may do that, He may not do, but that is not his goal. His goal in your life is to mold and shape you for eternity, to make you the person you're going to be forever. And to do that, he will introduce hardships in your life. He will introduce challenges and trials. And when that happens, James says, consider it pure joy. Why do you consider it? Because God cares about you so much, he wants to take you and make you the best you can possibly be. He wants to mold you to become more like him and to love him and to work and see everything from his perspective to gain his wisdom so that you can be ultimately happier and more content about the person you are. He wants us to understand that all of this is worthwhile, that when we are in the midst of the the darkest days of our life and we go, God, why is all of this happening? that we know it's ultimately for the best thing. And what is that best thing? Verse 12, James says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood that test, having stood firm, having gone the distance, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That one day in your future, You will hear your Savior tell you, you have made it. Stop running. Stop struggling. You're here. You have achieved it. You have won. There are no more tests left, no more trials left in your life, no more pain, no more grief. You are finally here. You are finally the person that I have created and designed you to be. Welcome, good and faithful servant, for I love you. And now you can come into my love forever. We want to go the distance. We want to be tough. and We want to grab that prize. And we need to take, another resource I didn't mention was the church. Take advantage of all these resources. You are not doing this alone. God is not letting you go through this trial alone. But he wants us to ultimately persevere. So let us do that in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, not one of us wants to pray asking that you further challenge us. But maybe that's an indication of maturing, that we're willing to, Lord, at least to say, Lord, we're willing to go through whatever challenges you deem right for us to mature. Lord, we don't want to run away. We don't want to go into comfort. But Lord, we want to go into your arms. In the good days and the bad, the easy days and the hard, Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to pass more than we fail in the challenges of our life through your wisdom. Help us to know what is right and what is wrong. Help us to desire your wisdom. Desire what you want for us more than what we want for ourselves. All God's people say.